Well, good morning, church. This morning, I just want to again, as I always do, thank you. And Pastor Paul has already alluded to this, thanking you for making reservations and distancing and using hand sanitizer and covering your cough and all those kind of things. Um, and we're going to continue to, to encourage you to do that. Um, we know we are in for the long haul. We don't know how long we'll be doing this, but we'll do it as long as we need. Again, there are some people that may come with a mask and those of us without a mask. And again, as I've said before, no judging, love, and unity. If you don't feel comfortable, then you stay home or you come with a mask or you, you know, you're the last one to come in and the first one to leave because you, you know, whatever it may be. I'm glad you're here. And if you're online watching, I'm glad you're watching. Uh, there are many who watch online. I was talking to my mom the other day and she said that her church uh, has actually canceled church the next two weeks. And they are quarantined their, their church and, and it's like, ugh. I really don't want to go back to online. So I thank you that we're doing all the precautions we can. And listen, we live in sort of an unsure time, but here's this. We have a sure God. We have a faithful God. And no matter what comes our way, we will walk in faith and trust God to help us to make wise decisions and uh, to continue to worship him, whether it's online or in person. I pray it will be in person here out. Um, But thank you for doing all you're doing on your end. Uh, if you would, I want you to just sort of think about somebody in authority over you, whether it's a job, whether it's in school, whether it's in sports, whatever it be. Just think about that moment, okay? Now, for some of you, I'm going to refer to sports because we are that sort of sporty type person that I am. Um, I long for sports. I've gone through some withdrawals. Um, thank you, Lord. We've had two baseball games we were able to go watch and sort of get that back in. But, you know, remember the days when we used to argue with the umpires? Remember that? It seems so long ago, right? But there are referees or umpires, they make a call, and then you're like, what? What? You made that call? As if our arguing with them is going to make them change their mind. Oh, you know what? Now that you've yelled at me, you're right. That wasn't a foul. Sorry. What? Yeah. Or maybe it was your boss. Your boss tells you you need to do this. You're like, I don't know. I, you know, And you have that little argument like... I know they want me to do this, or a teacher gives an assignment, or, and I know this has never happened to anybody in this room, where you got pulled over for going a little too fast. You're all perfect in here, so it didn't happen to any of you. So those of you watching online, you're the guilty ones. Just kidding. But maybe you've been pulled over by the police, and you're like, you were going a little too fast. Sir, with all due respect, I don't think I was. Oh, okay, you're right. Have a good day. And he goes back to his car, right? It doesn't work that way, does it? Whoever's in authority over you, you've had those moments where you question them, and, but you know you're not going to change their mind, right? Have you ever had a question for somebody of greater authority? God. You ever got those questions for God? Maybe it's like, you know, hey, hey, God, I'm looking at this situation, and all I got is one question. Why? Why, God? God, what are you doing? I, I don't understand it. Do you have those, those questions for God that they sort of piled up lately, maybe in the past? And what if God responds with an answer that doesn't satisfy you? Then what do you do? Turn to the book of Habakkuk. Some of you are like, Habakkuk? What, what is that? When's the last time you heard the, pre- the pre- preacher get up front and say, open up your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk, and you're like, not heard that in a while, have you? Not many people preach on this book. Not many people have heard of it. I say Habakkuk, and you're thinking tobacco or uh, 
Chewbacca, Chewbacca, right? Maybe that's what you're thinking of. Uh, for those of you Star Wars fans, this was just a shout out to you. Not Chewbacca, okay? Habakkuk, Habakkuk, okay? Habakkuk was a prophet. When, um, I don't know if you've, as you're searching, let me help you out. You just might have to go to the table of contents in your Bible and look for the page number. It's back, squeezed in with all those other little prophets and Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah. It's all right there before the book of Matthew. So work your way that, that direction. It seems that whenever you hear about the role of a prophet like Habakkuk, you, you think one thing, grumpy old man, right? He's bringing the bad news. He's got something bad to say. They're always carrying them some kind of message of judgment, it's coming judgment, we're all going to die, and you're going to die, and all this kind of stuff, and it just seems horrible, right? It's a small book. It's tucked away very in the very back of the Old Testament. It was written over 2,500 years ago, and we've never even, we can, some of us can't even pronounce his name right. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong when I say Habakkuk. But when you read this book, three small chapters take you less than a half hour to read it, if that. You're going to read it and you're going to say, did, this, did, this, did somebody just write this yesterday? I mean, you're reading it, it's like, this is so relevant. It's amazing how God's Word does that, right? There are many questions we ask in life. As I just said earlier, why am I here? What's the meaning of life? What is God's involvement in history? Why is there evil in history in t- today? Why doesn't God do something about the wickedness today when we look around with violence? Why doesn't God act on that now? How can I believe in a loving, personal God when bad things happen to me? Questions we ask, right? Questions that Habakkuk was asking. They're good questions asked for centuries. Habakkuk raises up some of these questions and basically going to the, if God is in charge of history, is he in charge of the future too? Is he in charge of the present? And we ask those questions. He asked those questions. But let's find out a little bit more about who Habakkuk is. What do we know about him personally? Look for him in the Bible outside this book. You're not going to find much about him, if anything. You might find one of his verses referenced in the New Testament by Jesus. But he's not mentioned anywhere else. We don't know how old he was when he wrote the book. We don't know if he had family. Most likely, according to this time, he grew up in the time of King Josiah. Let me give you a little feedback on who King Josiah was, because this might help you understand maybe why Josiah wrote the way he did. It says in 2 Kings 22.2, it says this, He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. What's so unique about that verse in King Josiah? He was maybe one of two kings that could be described this way. All the other kings did what was right in their own eyes. They did evil. They, they made their own decisions that were very selfish and condemning to a nation. Josiah wasn't that way. Josiah became king at age eight. And it says during his reign, the nation turned to God. So it all began when he became king and then they restored the temple. And as they restored the temple, they uncovered scrolls, the ancient writings of God's word. And then they pulled him out and they brought him to Josiah and he said, look what we discovered, God's word. And Josiah read them and he fell to his knees and asking for repentance and called the nation together and brought everybody together. And then they opened the scrolls and he read from the scrolls and the nation wept 
and praised God. Just imagine that. Thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people across this world gathering together to hear God's word spoken. For those of you that are part of Fields of Faith with FCA, that event is based on that scripture. That's how that all started. When you think about what was going on here with the, basically a nation was turning back to God. That's King Josiah. Real spiritual reform. And so at that point in time, you sort of think about what was going on. It's after the death of Josiah. There's this reform that had been set in with, with the nation of Judah. All of a sudden returns back to evil. And Jeremiah and Ezekiel, two other prophets, describe it in detail. And they talk about the fall of the nation and, and how the spiritual decline. And this has taken place in 587 B.C. This is when Habakkuk lived under Josiah and then Josiah's death. So he experienced and he saw spiritual renewal. And then he also saw wickedness. He saw them both. So when we look at the book of Habakkuk, and we sort of lay that up, the, the background of him against this makes a little bit more sense. He loved justice. He loved a God who was righteous. And he saw a nation that was perverted and turning to evil. And he cried out to God against this evil. And he's waiting for an answer. So read along with me. Chapter 1 of Habakkuk, verse 2 is where we'll start. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you don't come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed. There's no justice on the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. Wow. Uh, if you weren't listening, you might want to go back and read those verses again. Because as I first read them, I'm sitting going, did he just write that yesterday? It feels like it. I feel like this was written yesterday. And Habakkuk kicks off this whole book with basically saying this, this gut-wrenching question of, how long, God? How long do I have to wait for your help? But you don't listen. Ooh. When's the last time you sort of wiggled your finger back at God said, you don't listen? Habakkuk did. It's sort of gutsy, isn't it? Church, let me remind you, just because you don't hear an answer from God doesn't mean he's not listening. A lot of times we wait on answers from God. When are you going to respond, God? Let me just remind you this. Just because you haven't heard his answer does not mean he's not listening. He's listening. He is listening. Like Habakkuk, we see injustice, don't we, around this world today? We see unfairness. And sometimes we ask, like, hey, God, did you see that? God, did you just see what happened in Seattle? Did you see what happened in Chicago? Did you see what happened in New York? Did you see what happened in L.A.? Did you see what happened in Georgia? Did you see what... We could just keep filling in the blank all day, couldn't we? Did you see it, God? That's sort of what Habakkuk is doing here. And God's like, yeah, I saw it. I saw it. God answers, but the answer that God gave wasn't what Habakkuk expected. Let's read on, verse 5. The Lord replied, 
Look around at the nations. Look, be amazed. For I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. I'm raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They'll march across the world and conquer other lands. Verse 7. They are notorious for their cruelty and they do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from far away. Like eagles, they swoop down to devour their prey. Verse 9. On they come, all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their fortresses. They simply pile ramps on earth against their walls and capture them. Verse 11. They sweep past like the wind and are gone. But they are deeply guilty, for their own strength is their God. Oof. Our, our holy, almighty, righteous God doesn't sit there quietly. Oh, he replies. Habakkuk's like, how long, God? You listening, God? The guy's like, oh, I'm listening. Here's my reply. Don't worry, I'll take care of the violence. I'll send in the Babylonians who are fierce and cruel and wicked. And all the violence you see now, oh, they're going to wipe it out with a violence that's ten times worse. Ugh. Not exactly the answer Habakkuk was looking for, right? Matter of fact, I mean, God's like, I can't even really fully describe what you're going to see. Look at, I want to show you a comparison of a couple verses here. Uh, verse 5, he says, look around at the nations. Look and be amazed. For I am doing something in your own day, something you won't believe, even if somebody told you about it. That's verse 5. Now, I'll take you to Jeremiah 33, 3, another prophet who said this. God says, call to me and I will answer you and I will show you remarkable secret things that you don't even know about. See, here's, here's the comparison. One verse says there's some unbelievable bad stuff that's going to happen. And there's some unbelievable good stuff that's going to happen. God's like, you're not going to believe what you're going to see. I like Jeremiah 33.3. 3. That was one of the verses I memorized when I was a little kid. Call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you don't even expect. Different version. But I love that verse because it reminded me, pray, pray, pray. Ask God and he'll show you things that you won't believe. And it's all good, right? But here God says to the prophet Habakkuk, oh, I'm going to show you things that are going to be bad. You, you won't even believe. So we're, we're humans with limited knowledge and understanding. Church, listen, we can't see the big picture. We are unqualified to run this universe. Not one of us. In it. Some of us aren't even qualified to run our house or run our car. Some of us aren't even qualified to get dressed in the morning. Okay? We need help. You know what I'm saying? And to think that we can be qualified to run the universe, none of us are. God is. We have limited knowledge and understanding. He has unlimited eternal resources and knowledge. God's qualified. And here's the thing. Even if God said, hey, let me explain my plan to you, and he opens up and shows us a plan, we'd be going, I still don't get it. Do you ever feel that way when you walk into a classroom, students, and you see this big, thick textbook, and you're like, hey. Yeah, so I don't, I'm not sure, right? Habakkuk is like, you know, hey, wait, God, I know I started off complaining about this whole mess, um, but this is going to be even a bigger mess with the Babylonians coming in. So how about we change that up? You know, what Habakkuk is doing here is something I think is good. That is, I don't understand things. I'm going to pray to you. That's good. That's what we need to do. And we should go honestly to God with our prayers and say, God, 
here's where I'm at. We, we need to do that. But be careful that we don't judge God in his answers to us. His knowledge, his plans, his actions. Because let's remember God is God and we are not. Trust him. We don't know the outcome of the world's situations and, and what God's doing. We just trust him. Ask God, give me the peace right now, God, to hold on tight to everything that's going on. Because I feel like I'm on a merry-go-round that's been cranked up to 100 miles per hour. And you're just holding on to that horse and your legs are flipping off the side. You know what I'm saying? Do you guys remember the little merry-go-round? Only the older generation. Remember the playground with the, the wheel of fortune? You know what I'm talking about? You get on that thing and you're just running. Yeah, that's the way the world feels like sometimes. For the younger generation, you just Google it. Have your parents help you find it. It's an incredible death trap. I don't know how we got away with that on the playground. When I think about this, God is sovereign Lord, overseeing all these things, right? And everything that goes on around is basically, when I think about this, we're like a bunch of grasshoppers. We're like dust yeah, just sort of blown in the air. I mean, it's little, there's just so, God is so big and we're so small. And yet he is able to be in charge. If he's in charge of the history, he's in charge of today. He's an eternal God. That means he's in charge of tomorrow as well. And we find hope in that. We know that history has a divine plan. It wasn't by accident. Our future has a divine plan too. It will not be an accident. Let me help you with understanding the way God works. If I were to show you a picture of a watch... Okay? And I say, how did that watch come into where it is now? What would your answer be? Well, somebody put it there. Okay, and that's not what I'm saying. That watch suddenly appears. How was it created? How was it formed? How was it made? It has all these little small intricate parts that are put together to make it function. As an engineer, some of you are like, oh, I'd love to take it apart and see everything. Some of you are like, I just, I just want one that works, right? So when you look at that watch, how did it come about? I know. There was an explosion at a warehouse. And boom, there's the watch, right? Oh, I know. There was, there, was, there was like a little hand. And over time, the hand turned into two hands. And then it turned into a glass plate and then a, a wristband. It, it evolved, right? No. There was a creator, an ultimate designer who made the parts and then pieced the parts together. In the same way with the watch, is the same way with the human body, in the same way with this world. God is the ultimate designer and creator who put this all together. So if he is able to do that, what more can he do? Think about it. So Habakkuk goes to this God, the God we worship. He complains, asks the tough questions. God's got the answers. God answers, describing the fierceness of the Babylonian armies. And Habakkuk is like expected to like, oh, okay, great. And he's like, no. God, I, when I met, when I prayed that prayer to you, I was hoping for a spiritual reform like Josiah. I remember those days. Can we all like get holy with you again, God? And just make it all pleasant again? And God's like, I'm not going to answer that way. I'm bringing in the Babylonians. First problem was what? doesn't seem like God's around because there's all this evil going on. That seems like the first problem that Habakkuk addresses. The second problem then is that how do you resolve the problem with more wickedness? Come on, God, that doesn't seem like the right way, right? Turn to verse 12. 
verse 12, Habakkuk comes back now with his second complaint. Oh, Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you don't plan to wipe us out. Oh, Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. Verse 13, but you're pure. You can't stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? So let's, go, let's rewind. Habakkuk complains to God, asks God a question. God answers. Habakkuk doesn't like God's answer, so he comes back to God. And so sort of like, hey, but God, you don't like evil. So why would you bring in more evil? So he brings in another question. God's going to reply in the rest of chapter 2 to this, which leads us to chapter 3, where Habakkuk comes in then with a final statement. So church, follow me on this. Complaint, answer. Complaint, answer. Prayer. That's the book of Habakkuk. I'm going to skip to the prayer in chapter 3, and then next two weeks I'll come back and hit the rest of this book. But I want this prayer to be the foundation for today and the next two weeks. So skip with me to chapter 3, verse 17. Chapter 3, verse 17. We'll come back to the other rest of the book the next two weeks. Verse 17, it says, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails, and the fields lie empty and barren, and even though the flocks die in the fields, and the cattle barns are empty, Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. In this prayer, I want to focus on one verse, verse 19. The sovereign Lord is my strength. The sovereign, God's in charge. He's on the throne. He's eternal, almighty, holy. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. Now, where did he get this prayer? Was this his own prayer? I believe he heard this prayer from David. Now, remember, he has all these writings and these these people of God that were before him. And I go back and I look at 2 Samuel. Let me read this to you. I'll put it up on the screen. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 31 says, God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who look to him for protection. For who is God except the Lord? Who but our God is a solid rock? God is my strong fortress and he makes my way perfect. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. Verse 35, he trains my hands for battle. He strengthens my arm to draw a bronze bow. You've given me your shield of victory. Your help has made me great. You have made a wide path for my feet to keep them from slipping. David's song of praise here includes that one phrase again. He makes me surefoot as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. This was written after the later years of David's life. He's getting towards the end of his life and he writes this, but he's reflecting back, I believe, to when he was being chased by King Saul. Before he was actually in the king in the palace, Saul was there. And Saul was chasing David, trying to kill him, assassinate him. David fled to a place called the En Gedi. The En Gedi is like this oasis in the middle of the desert. 
If you leave Jerusalem and you head east and you, you go probably, like if you're in a car, it'd be about an hour and a half drive. But you get to this beautiful place in the middle of the desert. It's difficult to get there. You have to trek through different canyons and rocks and caves and cliffs. But eventually you come to that refreshing spring and waterfall. Today this land looks very similar. This is where we read the story of King Saul chasing David. If you were to go back in, in the Old Testament, you read the story. David is running from King Saul. So he goes to En Gedi and he hides in these caves with his, the rest of his army. King Saul comes to these caves, the En Gedi, and tries to find David. And he's like, I can't find him anywhere. And King Saul's like, gentlemen, you stay here. I'm going to go up in a cave and relieve myself. Yes, it's in the Bible. So Saul goes up into a cave to relieve himself. It happens to be the same cave that David's hiding in. That's embarrassing. He didn't know he was hiding in the John. Well, he's in the back of the cave hiding, and there's Saul relieving himself. David's like, I got an idea. His men are like, go kill him, go kill him. He's like, I'm not going to kill him. He goes up and he cuts off a piece of his robe. Saul leaves the cave, heads down. David comes out. Saul. And he has this little conversation with Saul. You are king, and God has given you to me today. Put you in my hands. I could have killed you, but I didn't. Here's a piece of your robe. And Saul's like, like, like you can probably imagine his face turns white and realizes you are a holy man, David, and things change from there out. These are the caves in which that story takes place. And when I think about that in this moment, David lived around the En Gedi for quite a while. He saw not just the caves, he saw the wildlife there. And this is where David prays, I believe, that prayer that is recorded in 2 Samuel 22. David prayed this. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. Habakkuk prayed, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. Very similar prayer. It's like, it's like Habakkuk is like, looks at what David wrote. That prayer says, I want that. I, I want that prayer. Have you ever been to a restaurant and you're sitting at your table and you look over at somebody else's restaurant, they get served food and you're like, ooh, ooh that looks good. And your waitress or waiter comes and they're like, what would you like? I don't need to look at the, the menu. I want what they got over there. You know what I'm saying? You see somebody drive by or you go to the ice cream place, they got this big cone. It's like, oh, I already know what I want. I want what they got. Or somebody drives by in the car. Oh, I want what they're driving, right? We all know that I want what they got. I believe here, Habakkuk is like, I want what David prayed. Just like any other person, including us, who today we look back at biblical heroes and people of the Bible and we say, hey, I want the faith of Noah. I want the strength of Samson. I want the courage of David. I want the confidence of Esther. I want the, the, the courage of, of Joshua, his leadership, the passion of Mary, the boldness of Paul. How about the obedience of Moses? Or the heart of David? David wasn't perfect, but we know in the Bible it says that he was a man after God's heart. Habakkuk is like, I want the faith and the trust of David. David would sing and write and pray, and he'd put all these things in, onto words. And Habakkuk is like, I, I want that prayer right there. And he prays that prayer. Give me the sure-footedness of a deer 
on the mountain heights. And when we think, and here's the thing, when we think about this, we think, well, what does that deer look like, right? Well, we live in this Western culture in which some of you are deer hunters in here. You know what a deer looks like. So when we read deer, we're thinking of, you know, Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer, or Bambi or something, right? We think of that kind of deer. This is what the deers look like. They were Nubian ibex. A Nubian ibex is what they were. These are the deer. They're part of the goat family, but they are a deer that lived in the Engedi, where David was hiding. So when David's writing the sure-footedness of a deer, this is the picture he is seeing. He would have observed their actions. He would have seen them climbing. Some of you kids in here, if you got your clipboards with drawings on them, you got a Nubian deer to color today in your clipboard. Brad Gray preaches a lot of uh, great messages, and I love listening to him. And he referred to the Nubian ibex uh, about a month ago. And I was like, oh, I love it. And so I took a video clip from his message, and I'm going to show it to you in a second. Um, but I want to share that because I always want to give credit where credit's due. This was Brad's doing. But as I studied through Habakkuk and I'm reading this prayer and I'm thinking, where else can I find the sure-footedness of a deer on the mountain heights? I could only find it in three places, and these are two of them here with David and Habakkuk. But the Nubian Ibex, this is the deer that he's talking about. So when I say the sure-footedness of a deer, I want to show you what that looks like in action. But now the family must be on guard against predators. Or grab a chance to browse. That's one way to feed your family. Trailing behind, the last youngster is almost down and runs right into trouble. A fox. It's been waiting for the straggler. You know, this is dangerous. They cue the music. The kid has never seen a fox before, but knows it's in real peril. appears to be running into more trouble as it heads back up the cliff. The fox tries to gain the higher ground. The kid has found safety on a face so steep that only an ibex could stand there. The lessons learnt on this morning's descent have saved its life. 
Finally, the fox gives it up as a bad job. Perhaps suddenly aware it's standing on a precipice. Look how steep that is. Despite its tender age, the ibex has outwitted one of the canniest of predators. Mm. On a cliff so steep that only a Nubian ibex could escape. Did you catch that? The sure foot of a deer on the mountain heights. That's what Habakkuk prayed for. That's what David prayed for. Oh, life is treacherous, isn't it? It's very scary at times. And then you walk through life, and as I walk through life, sometimes we feel like we're on the edge. And we're like, hearts beating. It's like, I don't know, I'm so close, I don't know. And it's like, if my path isn't going to change right now, then give me the sure-footedness of a deer. Habakkuk's like, you know what, God, you're sending the Babylonians, which means it's going to get worse before it gets better. If you're not, if this is your history plan, if this is your providence, God, I can't change what's going to happen tomorrow. So God, give me the feet to walk through tomorrow. You hear what I'm saying? Do you hear what's being prayed here? I was thinking about how God designed the Nubian Ibex with some great features. Oh yeah, it's got an awesome goatee, right? It's got cool horns, right? I mean, God really equipped this animal with some awesome looks. But what makes it so incredible is what? It's hooves. To be able to go on inches of stone on canyon walls and do it so effortlessly. That's how God created it. In the same way, listen, church, God's given all of us gifts. He gives each and every one of us different gifts and gives us different features that makes us who we are. But he gives all of us his Holy Spirit that is victorious. I've said it before when studying Psalm 119 that life is like a path. And we need to be in God's word on that path. And when we are disobedient to God's word, it's like we go off the path, right? But even on the path as we are trying to be obedient to God, guess what? You're still going to have those moments when you might get stuck. If you've hiked before, you know you're going to have mud. Oh, you might have water you're going to step through. Oh, you might have a tree down you have to climb over. There's going to be obstacles on your hike. That doesn't mean you change paths. It just means you get through the path you're on, even when it's challenging. Daniel prayed for sure feet to be able to stand, to walk, to tread the tough times. Habakkuk did the same thing. After seeing how God works, he's like, God, do you see what's going on? I see what's going on, and I'm sending Babylonians. God, I didn't mean to send Babylonians. They're going to come anyway. Then give me the sure feet of a deer. Oh, sovereign Lord, was his prayer. Sovereign, you're in charge. You're almighty. You are king over all. You are sovereign. Because you are sovereign which basically means I'm submitting to the fact that you are in charge of the past, today, and tomorrow. I trust you. Sovereign Lord, give me the sure feet of that deer. Help me to tread ahead with what I'm going to be treading upon. Church, what is challenging you today? What's going on in your path today? What's tripping you up? What's got you stuck? 
I don't know if you're being slowed down or not or what obstacles are your way. But you pray, pray to our sovereign God who's in charge of the history, who's in charge of today, who's in charge of tomorrow. Ask him to give you the sure feet of a deer. Worship team, would you come forward, please? Church, listen to me. Pray for the desires of your heart. We're told that, right? God, end this coronavirus. God, help me get a job. God, help this person get better. God, I pray for this, pray for that. You and I need to pray for those things. But we also need to pray that while we're waiting for those prayers to be answered, pray for the sure-footedness of a deer to stand while we're waiting for those prayers to be answered. I'm sort of curious here, church. It seems like in this past year, a lot of you have lost a loved one. A mother passed away, a father passed away, a friend passed away. Help me out here. If you've, if you've lost someone in the past year, raise your hand. Just stick it up and keep it up, please. Keep it up in your While your hand's up in your Do you know somebody that's lost a job? Raise your hand. Keep your hands up. Everybody else, that you raised your hand originally, keep it up. Do you know somebody that's going through a tough time right now? Raise your hand if you know somebody that they're struggling. Look around. There's a lot of hands up. You put that down. I was talking to somebody the other day, and, and I know um, was Gloria Coons, her father, passed away. And, and I just, in a short conversation, it was just like, I want to pray that you have the sure feet of a deer. Because my dad passed away. It was like, how do I get through this moment? I don't know if I can get through the moment. So I'm going to pray, because I, I can't change that moment. So I'm going to pray for the sure footedness of a deer to help me move forward during this moment. So for those of you who have lost a loved one or, or you've been sick or you know somebody lost a job or whatever it may be, it might be a while before your prayer gets answered. Oh, God hears and he will answer. But while you're waiting and as you're moving forward, pray for the sure-footedness of that deer. Amen. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for truth. I thank you, Lord, for when we go through tough times, we're not alone. You hear our prayers. Sometimes your answers aren't what we expect. We don't like it. But we do know that on the other side, it's going to get better. But until then, it's like, what do I do? God, thank you for Habakkuk, who in a small letter, in a small book, came to a conclusion that God, in spite of the answers I'm getting from you, you're still God. And I'm going to trust you because you're sovereign. And God, I'm going to ask you though, just to give me that sure foot of a deer. Because when I walk on the edges of life, boy, do I feel like I'm on the edge right now. Help me to escape my predators. I know the evil one, Satan, wants to take me out, wants to defeat me, wants me to be afraid, wants me to be discouraged, wants me to be depressed. I know that's his tactic to kill, steal, and destroy me. But God, you've come to give me life. So God, give me the sure-footedness of a deer so I can escape and move forward in life. God, you have rescued me. God, thank you for rescuing me. God, help me now to live for you to walk with courage, to stand with boldness. Give me that sure-footedness of a deer, Lord. I pray that for this church. Lord, we 
sing to you now. In the name we pray, amen.